1: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Well, I can remember Justin as a, a young lad when he first came to the club from South I think even from a very early age, he showed that resilience and that desire Justin was one of those fullbacks who nobody ever really got the better of him. I can remember him coming from Southend, he was in that magical ride of the 91 cup farmer. I mean, he had plenty to save himself and I think that shows part of his character and he's always had a lot of time for people and, and, and that's, he's good with people. And it's, it's a good, that's a good trait to have.
2: He understood the game and, and learned
1: how to be a, become a proper defender and understood the art of defending. He was a great lad. I'm sure all the other boys you interviewed have so said he was a big personality got some fantastic memories of him, particularly when we won the cup final in '91. He got kept up most of the night by Paul Gascoigne. Sadly for Terry Frenick, he broke his leg in the warm-up and Justin played. He felt tired, but just got on with it. That was Justin all over. He's done his manager all the time. He's, he's, he's been around a bit, but he's obviously learnt a lot from that. When you reflect on the two clubs that he went into um, obviously at Newport that was in the conference that he got promoted into the Football League and took them to the FA Trophy and to replicate that as well at Leighton Orient and just the mark that he left not just in football just people in general the reaction has just been amazing.
2: We had eight years together playing, but also we had our post-careers together as well when we spent a lot of time with quite a few of the other old boys in the Spurs legends. He was the life and soul of, of every party in that as well, and um, aside from those sort of memories can't stop thinking about, he should still be around.
1: To serve that length of, of time at a club like Spurs says a lot about, as again Justin as a football player, but as a person in his character. Football was everything to, to him. His will to win, even in those old boys' games, was there and evident for everyone to see.
0: Hello and welcome to The Last Word on Spurs. We hope you're all keeping well. We hope you're all keeping safe. Now, I'm delighted to have joining me for this special show, I've got John from the White Rose. John, how are you?
2: Hello, Ricky. Yeah, doing really well. Uh, just trying to uh, keep morale and, and spirits high during these uh, difficult and challenging times we're all going through. Um, But, yeah, always I say to our listeners, try and find something positive so that when we finish this experience, you come out of it and think, you know, it wasn't so bad. Mine has been spending time with my family and also doing shows with you, Ricky.
0: John, such a gent as always. Now, we are bringing you a very, very special show. Now, I think this for us marks a different kind of show we've ever done on The Last Word on Spurs here. Now, we've been in existence for the last two and a bit years. And for this kind of show we're doing is we're taking a look back at what can only be described as a legend. That's the way I would describe the man and we're delighted to be talking about Justin Edinburgh, a Spurs player who of course, one of the most decorated in the 1990s, who won the FA Cup, won the League Cup and we wanted to know more about the person behind the man himself and I'm really honoured and I'm humbled to have his son Charlie Edinburgh join us for this show. Charlie, maybe a silly question at the moment, how are you? How's things?
3: Ricky, John, thanks for having me on. Yeah, all OK. Um, I think you sort of touched on Dad there, you know, obviously no longer with us. So for me and the family, we, we've come through a lot worse times. And uh, I think, you know, um, that sort of prepared us for for anything like this. This is a bit of a walk in the park for us, you know, um, sort of being locked down in the luxury of our own home. It's, it's not too bad. We're remaining positive. Um, everybody's fit and well. So all, all good in the Edinburgh household.
0: That's good to hear. Really, really good to hear, Charlie. And again, we just want to thank you for joining us and also, first and foremost, offer our condolences to you um, because your dad was a very special player amongst so many different people, whether it's Spurs fans, whether it's Latin Orient fans, whether it's all the other clubs he managed. I mean, he left a trademark on them all, didn't he, Charlie?
3: I'd like to think so. Me, obviously, uh, as his son, uh, I'm immensely proud of everything that he achieved, both as a, as a player and as a manager. Um, But, yeah, I like to think that, you know, every club that he played for, managed, represented. Um, He left a lasting impression. Been very fortunate in my lifetime to meet some amazing people through dad, uh, both in and out of the game but most recently you know you you get people sort of reaching out to you to catch up and find out you know how myself my mum and my sister are, are getting on and just speaking about what what a great guy he was quite overwhelming really to sort of hear people speak so highly about your dad it's it's a proud proud thing for me just overjoyed really to to see the legacy and, and the mark that he's left behind.
0: I totally agree with that before we get into the questions just to really put it out there for maybe some of our younger listeners that your dad was a really fiercely competitive fullback. He always looked to get forward, strong in a tackle, determined and full of belief. He had competition for that left-back spot when he came to Spurs from the likes of Pat van der Howe, Terry Fenwick and Clive Wilson over a 10-year period, but yet still managed to put on the shirt 276 times between 1990 and his departure to Portsmouth in 2000. He won, as we mentioned, the FA Cup in 1991, the League Cup in 1999 and, of course, as we mentioned, was already... Definitely one of the most decorated Spurs players during that 1990s. And to bring it back to the very start of your dad's career, Charlie, he joined the club, as we mentioned, in 1990 after beginning his career at Southend United. But it was a football fairy tale because just 12 months earlier, he was playing in the old fourth division. Did your dad ever tell you stories of growing up, just how he much believed how quickly Life changed me. Secure to move to Spurs.
3: Absolutely, dad is one of three children. Very close with both his brother and his sister, aunt and uncle. And yeah, they they grew up um, in Essex, where we still live in Essex now as a family. All over Essex, he sort of moved around. Dad's mum and dad they own pubs, so he grew up sort of living in pubs. And he was he was playing local Sunday League football with his friends right up until he was about. Uh, 15, 16, so he was picked up really quite late by South End and he, and he went in there as a, a YTS or a scholar as that they call it and learnt the hard way I think, you know, as you say, the old fourth division some characters, he had to go in and, and, and earn the right, you know, and I think throughout Dad's career, anybody that you speak to will say the same thing, you know determined, had that hunger and that desire and that passion to get to the top and he was going to do whatever it took, obviously a young lad coming into to that South End United team and and they achieved some great things there. As I say, learnt the hard way from some some really experienced pros at that level and sort of went to school, if you will, uh, in football terms and really learnt the ropes. And then obviously his, I guess, performances there earned him... uh, Initially, it was a loan move, actually, I believe, to to Tottenham before they actually signed him on a permanent basis. And I think for him, as you say, you know, just sort, sort of some time prior to... To sign it for Spurs, he then finds himself not long later playing with the the likes of Paul Gascoigne, Gary Lineker, Sedgley, uh, the like, and eventually going on to win an FA Cup, which I think we're, we'll all be in agreement is is every boy's dream. You know, you grow up watching Match of the Day and, and FA Cup finals, and just always think and feel what it'd be like to to lift that trophy, and and he done that with probably probably within a year and year and a half of being at the football club, so um amazing amazing achievement from obviously the, the team as a collective but for for dad i think it was a real sort of wow um this is this is the big time like sort of landed feet here of course had to earn the right but um was playing with some some really um top top players and potentially one of the, the best that this country's ever produced in, in Paul Gascoigne. So, yeah, obviously those, those early years um, earned the right and mentioned went on to, to make a significant amount of appearances for the club.
2: Yeah, that point you make there on sort of the tough upbringing, you know, learning his trade in the lower leagues and, and Sunday leagues, even before that, I think that really showed in his career as a player. He had a real sort of mental resolve and, and toughness about him. And then moving on to his actual first season with Spurs, he was obviously a regular in the side. He started that famous FA Cup semi-final win over Arsenal at Wembley, uh, which was just the moment that that no Tottenham fan will ever forget. Myself and Ricky would have been about one at the time. Um, But, you know, (laughs) that that, that, that sort of drilled into you, that that was, uh, you know, what a moment that was. And then Paul wins free kick. And, and, you know, that was a real sort of famous, famous Tottenham victory. And then obviously took his place in the final for that 2-1 victory against Nottingham Forest to lift the trophy. That was still Tottenham's last you know, big, big trophy to date to so that, that that FA Cup. So, you know, that's just an amazing achievement. And starting that incredible 91 FA Cup final, your Dad found himself in the team, uh, despite only starting 12 league games that season, there was an injury in the build-up to the to Cup final game, which saw Justin get his place after Terry Fenwick broke his leg in the warm-up against Portsmouth. It seems it was destiny for him to play in that Cup final for Spurs.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I wasn't obviously alive when Dad... dad won the, the trophy and Spurs won the trophy, but don't don't get me wrong, he's not been shy of putting the uh, the old video on in front of me and making sure that I'm well aware. But obviously, look, I, I'm immensely proud. And as you mentioned, you know, he sort of almost sort of fake really, you know, the, the freakish vent of, of Terry Fenwick breaking his leg in the warm-up. It's not something that happens on a on a sort of regular basis. And um there's a funny story about that. Paul Allen spoke at my dad's memorial. Uh, last summer, and he spoke about Dad as a person, and the one story that really stuck out for Paul Allen and sort of testament to Dad and the type of character that he was. He the night before that Portsmouth game had been roomed next door to Gaza and uh, John Moncur, and there was a there was an interconnecting door um, between. In the, the hotel rooms obviously um, Gazza wasn't going to let Dad have a quiet night um, he made sure that that interconnecting door was was kept wide open and if if it wasn't then uh, Gazza would be telling uh, Mr Terry Venables that Dad had been up to no good so um, Gazza had Dad up with John Monker both young players at the time playing all sorts of stupid games who can hold their breath the longest who can do X amount of press-ups who can sit in the sauna the longest all things that are really, really good preparation for for an FA Cup game, as you can imagine. But um, Dad wasn't aware that he was in the squad, so it wasn't until you know a very jaded lack of sleep. Justin got a, a call up um, during the warm up that he was going to be playing, and and by by all accounts, this is not me saying this. This is Paul Allen, one of Dad's former teammates, and said that Dad gave a, a man of a, a man of the match performance that day. If it wasn't probably for Gaza scoring the couple of goals, two or three goals, I think it was, that actually won us that game, then Dad probably would have won the man of the match award. And um, I think that just showed what he was about as a man, you know. Um, Prepared to be thrown at the deep end, courageous. Probably wasn't the most technically gifted with players, but he, he every time he put on that shirt, every time that he crossed that white line and come out in front of the, of the thousands of fans that, that would be at home and away games, you know, he, he would give his all. And um, I think that's what took him so far was the fact that he was so, so passionate and, you know, was going to... Was going to die for the calls. He'd do whatever it took to to make sure that you know the the result. And he had a he had a positive impact on on, on the team's performance.
0: The FA Cup final, there was a famous clash between your dad with Steve Sledgeley and Roy Keane. It's fair to say, as I mentioned in the intro, your dad never never feel intimidated from an opposition player. Did he ever tell you stories about that incident of actually what what happened? In that game,
3: look, they were they were both the sort of new kids on the block, if you will. Obviously, the career that Roy Keane went on to have, you know, um, unbelievable and and probably known as a bit of a hard man in football. But I think it just shows, you know, um, this this young kid from Ireland who there was a lot of hype about come over. And weren't going to shy from a tackle. I think it was actually Dad putting quite a fierce tackle on him, which sort of sparked the the, the confrontation. And then, obviously, we've probably all seen it on social media. It's knocking about everywhere that uh, Dad and, and, and Sedgley give, uh, give Roy Keane a bit of stick. But I think, you know, again just just sort of shows the type of type of man and character that Dad was. He, was, he wasn't going to shy away from anything. A young and ballsy Roy Keane wasn't going to come in his way from making sure that Spurs were the team that were lifting that trophy come the end of the day.
2: Obviously, in the celebrations following that, that famous win after the cup final, did you, did, there were some rumours going around that some Spurs players took the trophy to gathering hospital so they could have a sip of beer out of the trophy. Did you ever hear anything about that?
3: I have heard that's true. I don't know whether Dad was actually one of the players that went, but I do know that they did take the trophy to, to Gaza. Um, whether or not he had a beer out of it or whatnot, uh, I'm sure they probably gave him something. But yeah, I'm sure at the time they were probably trying to sort his, sort his knee out. So ultimately, I think all Spurs fans would be in agreement as as brilliant as that team was without Paul Gascoigne that year. I, I don't think we we would have probably won that that trophy, and Dad would be the first to say that. As I'm sure many of that team would be in agreement you know had some great players but without, without that man it probably probably wouldn't have happened but fair play to them you know obviously losing him during the game was obviously a, a huge huge loss and I'm sure on that day you know as I say I wasn't alive but there was probably Spurs fans just in c- complete despair at the fact that he'd been stretched off but they all grouped together it wasn't going to let it phase him. and um, they made sure that they didn't just do it for themselves, but they they done it for Gaza, and yeah, took took the trophy to him so that he could he could have his moment in the limelight as well.
0: Your dad also would go on to win the League Cup with Spurs, Charlie, in 1999 at the George Graham. Where during that game. Your dad was sent off for raising his arms to Robbie Savage. However, the post-match analysis clearly showed that Savage had distinctly overreacted to really minimal contact. And the red card was unjustly awarded. Can you remember what your feelings were as a young boy in the stands watching your dad being sent off? What was that like for you?
3: It was awful. I think that's the only way to describe it. I, I think I was seven, maybe eight at the time. Wembley's a noisy enough place at the best of times without half the stadium booing and, and jeering your dad and um, telling him to get off. It's, it's not nice. Look, ultimately, as a young kid, you don't want to hear bad things being said about your dad. But um, I think for him, it was one of them moments that I think he felt that he, he could potentially cost, cost the boys the, the game. And um, I don't think he would have ever forgiven himself. Um, but I, I just remember bursting into tears, I was sat with my, with my auntie and uncle. Um, and I, I actually, uh, tried to run out of Wembley. Uh, my, my auntie managed to, uh, to catch me near one of the burger hot dog stands and calm me down. And, after about f- probably sort of fifteen twenty minutes of trying to convince me she she got me back into my seat and saw Super Alan Nilsson's diving head up and seal the victory for us and there's a There's a funny story which I wasn't actually aware of well I was aware of it, but how true it was, but Dad was actually in the obviously in the change room in absolute despair and she heard the roar of the goal when the steward or the security man outside the the dressing room poked his head in and and had said that Lester had scored um which obviously. Dad's heart probably went from sinking, but sinking even further. For the stewards to say, oh, I'm only joking, Spurs have just taken the lead. Um, and fair play to to Dad. Look, we all know in football, you can't raise your hands, whether he made connection or whatever intent it was from him, whether it was to slap, to to palm, to to hit... To strike him, whatever it was, I think you know Savage had gone about that game and was was um, niggling people. But I've watched it back plenty of times. So I'm sure you you'll be in agreement that the tackle leading up to that is just is outrageous. And I think you know, given the circumstances of of the game. Probably a yellow card for both players. Get on with the game would have been a fair sort of outcome. But dad was on the receiving end of that card. And it it, it was an awful awful moment for for us as a family. But obviously, in the end, he got his winner's medal. It was was all soon, well, safe forgotten about, still talking about it now. But um, it it wasn't such a bitter pill to swallow, let's put it that way.
2: Savage did actually issue an apology uh, to your dad many years later. He, He said, I overreacted. When I look back now, I regret acting the way I did. I dived and got him sent off. At the time, it was the right thing to do because I was trying to gain an advantage and trying to help my team win the cup. But looking back now in hindsight, it was embarrassing. Uh, And I mean, just sentiment to what we were all saying. You know, I really do think it was embarrassing from Robbie Savage, but uh, he's come out and said that he felt like he was trying to gain an advantage for his club and and trying to lift up the trophy. Um, But luckily for us guys, you know, Karma was on Tottenham's side there and we did get to lift that trophy that day.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, um, there's there's ways of gaining an advantage, right? And as I said, look, you, you can't, we, we all know the rules of the game, you can't be seen to raising, raising your hands in football. It's just, um, it, it's, it's against the rules, you don't do it. And, you know, dad, that, that was probably one of his biggest regrets. He was probably one of the more sort of experienced players within that Spurs team going into that game. And look, he's his temper got the, the better of him. But that got his apology. There's ways of gaining advantage, whether that was the right thing or the wrong thing. It's, it's a funny one, isn't it? You, you take in a game of football yourself. What, what are you prepared to do to, to, to give your team the advantage? And on the day, that that's what Savage felt. Was, was the right thing to do looking back now he obviously understands it was embarrassing on his part and he's been big enough and man enough to own uh, to sort of own it and uh it's in the past and um history was written I think that was dad was the last player to get sent off at the old Wembley if I, if I'm um told correctly so not not probably the stat that he wanted but there you go there's a there's another bit of trivia about dad
0: Charlie, did you ever end up bumping into Robbie at all? Uh, I would say you, but did your dad ever end up bumping into Robbie after the game or d- during that summer or, or kind of seasons on from, yeah. from that tie at all?
3: We actually bumped into him summer, so I think he was a bit shocked. Um, I was only young, as I say, so I don't remember it clearly, but the story often um, gets passed around on, on our family holidays. We we go uh, we go on holiday quite a lot with... Um, David Kerslake and Colin Caldwood's families uh, on holiday and we were actually in Portugal that summer with the Kerslakes and the Caldwoods and we was going out for dinner one evening and um, me and David Kerslake's son Zach I I think spotted Robbie Savage eating in a restaurant with his wife or partner and I don't think there was any any sort of words exchanged but it was just almost sort of a a look of you know you you know what you've done to me I don't think he could actually look at dad to be honest he he was he was embarrassed then, but look, he's, as I say, he's, he's forgotten about now. He went on to, to have a, a fantastic career himself, you know, Savage, and doing a lot of great work for, for football now with, with the BBC and, and other, other channels. So, yeah, we, we did come across him, but I think in the end, I, I believe the apology come from Savage in the build-up to Bad reaching the, the conference player final with Newport against uh, Robbie Savage's beloved Wrexham, because I know that's where um, he's from. So I think that's where the the actual apology come from in the end.
2: Dad, obviously he played for Tottenham for such a long period of time. He actually played with two cup-winning sides. Now, from those sides, who were the sort of people that he would have said to you were you know, the best players he played with, other than Gazza, who you've mentioned earlier? Or just sort of as a friendship yeah. basis. So you said you said you went on holiday with David Kerslake's lakes family and, and Howes. Were they the sort of or the part Pardon me. Were they the sort of closest uh, friendship groups he had at the club?
3: Dad was he, he was a he was a likable guy. I mean, he didn't sort of have any any sort of issues with any of his teammates. I don't think any during his career. But yeah, he that 91 side. I think you know. You've obviously, as I say, without mentioning Gaza, you got you got Gary Lineker. I mean, I, that that whole side was filled with with so much talent. And you've Paul Walsh's, you've Vinnie Samways. I mentioned Paul Allen earlier, Gary Mabbott. You know, great people for for Dad to to go in and learn from at such a a young age in in his footballing career. You know, we obviously mentioned earlier that he'd only sort of been playing in the lower league just some months earlier. So great talent within there, and then obviously. Through the 90s, he played with some some amazing players. Your, your Ginolas, your Sherinhams, your Klinsmans, absolute legends. And when you start reeling those sorts of names off, you, you start scratching your head as a Spurs man as to how haven't we won more with those types of players in our sides, you know? I mean, that, that 99 side, again, Ginola was... Um, uh, the, the man wasn't he and some amazing amazing talents a lot of a lot of players he kept in touch with the Justin Edinburgh 3 Foundation inaugural gala dinner just back in in December and it's great to see so many of his ex-teammates turn out you know you, you mentioned David Howells there Steve Sedgley Paul Allen uh Teddy Sheridan you know all, all turning out to to support um not just uh, the, the dad, but the work that we're looking to do now to keep his name and legacy going. But yes, yeah, some amazing, amazing relationships, you know, played with young Ledley Kings coming through, Sol Campbell's, I dare I mention his name, but um, players that have gone out to have we'll let you fantastic have one, careers. Yeah, no, listen, I, I dare mention his name, but... Um, went on to have a, a great career in football and yeah, some, some amazing players but close relationships we, we do have with, with the Kerr's Lakes and, and, and the Caldwell family, absolutely.
0: After winning the Worthington Cup, that actually proved to be your dad's final season at Spurs. Did your dad know and think that was going to be his final season at the club? Was there an inkling that that was always going to be his last one at Spurs?
3: You know what, I never actually asked him that. Get some players that, that play for one club their whole career, you know, but I think games were maybe becoming that that, that start that season because I don't think he actually went to Portsmouth until the January transfer window so maybe was a little bit frustrated that you know he was cut at the end of his career maybe felt that he still had quite a bit to give and, and lack of game time probably just had an honest conversation he was an honest guy probably went and knocked on the manager's door and just sort of said look where, where do I stand you know the answer obviously was if you You're looking to play consistent football. It's not going to be here for you. So let's look at look at the options for you. And Tony Pulis lured him down to to Portsmouth. I I remember me and my mum still laugh about it now. I was absolutely heartbroken absolutely heartbroken when I found out he was going to be leaving Spurs I, I cried and cried and cried and I just as I say I was, a, I was a young kid I couldn't understand why he had to leave and it was going to be a case of us sort of relocating it's the only time during his whole managerial and, and playing career that we ever actually moved moved from Essex so we, we moved down to Portsmouth it was just it, it was it was gutting because it was a club that means so much to, to all of us as a family you know as I mentioned I, from the moment I was born I was over at White Hart Lane I didn't have a choice I was going to be a Spurs fan whether I liked it or not and it was a special special place and just sad to to see his, his time come to an end there um, but obviously went on to, to have a, a an enjoyable spell at Portsmouth.
2: The season after was where David Ginola took the Premier League by storm and was Spurs' main superstar, winning the PFA Player of the Year despite our sort of lowly finish in the league. He actually dedicated his PFA Player of the Year award to your dad with a glowing tribute. Justin Edinburgh was a friend. I knew he was the kind of man who could raise a dressing room and make people smile. Without Justin Edinburgh behind me doing the hard job, I would not probably have been rewarded. Justin, this award is yours. It's not mine anymore. I mean, that's just a lovely tribute um, you know, saying that on the biggest stage to your dad, and that's a real testament to the man he was. Were your dad and, and David
3: close friends? They definitely kept in touch. Obviously, Dad went on to Portsmouth. David went on to to have other clubs as well. I think you know, during their time at Spurs, they they were close. Probably lost contacts for for a period, but they actually ended up doing their coaching badges together down in in Wales when Dad was at Newport. They were doing, I think, their A license or their Pro license together with the the Welsh FA so sort of was good times for them to to sort of reminisce i think that was some sort of five maybe six years ago that they sort of rekindled and caught up on the on the good times and they stayed in touch ever since often dad would get texts or calls from david when he's obviously keeping an eye out on on where dad was at in his manager, managerial career the success that he was having you know was always sort of reaching out and keeping in touch and an amazing, amazing tribute from Wow, what a footballer, you know, to, to for those words to come out of a legend like that's mouth about your own father it gives you goosebumps you know that's no exaggeration it really really does and I guess David was able to be the player he was dad lost half of his knee probably doing double the running for David but there you go swings and roundabouts without David in the team dad probably wouldn't have played as many games either so it made that left hand side look attractive I don't think dad would have moaned too much about doing the 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 extra running and yeah to have have that award it, sort of dedicated to, to dad is, is, is truly, truly amazing.
0: It speaks volumes of the man that your dad was, Chaz. We are going to go for a very quick break. And when we return, we're going to be discussing Justin's management career. And of course, the legacy the man leaves behind and the fantastic work going on with the foundation that Charlie is, of course, a massive, massive part of. Please don't go anywhere. We are going to be back after this very, very short break. Hello and welcome back here to the last one on Spurs. Thank you for always downloading us as we really reflect on a real Spurs legend. As we mentioned, one of the most decorated players of that 1990s period up into the millennium in Justin Edinburgh. And we're honoured and humbled, as I mentioned in the intro, to have Charlie Edinburgh, Justin's son join us for this special show. And John, I'm going to hand back to you.
2: Justin began his his managerial career in in non-league football. Uh, eventually joining Newport County in 2011, where he staved off relegation from the conference, the then National League, before taking the club back into the Football League after a 25 year absence. Spells followed at Chillingham and Northampton before he took over at Orient in 2017, and once again led a club back into the Football League. When your dad actually took over at Orient, he inherited a real sort of underperforming squad and a club which sat in 20th place in the National League. Could you just explain to our listeners who may not know of Orient's struggles at that time? just what sort of a job your dad
3: was taking on yeah absolutely look I think first and foremost they're not on the same scale as as Spurs uh, but they are a massive football club in their own right and um, you know old first division football club and Dad had worked so hard to establish himself um, in his own right as a as a football league manager. You know, you mentioned he built his way up through non-league, eventually um, getting Newport back into the football league, and then obviously spells at Gillingham and Northampton followed. I think the, the the real the real thing for Dad was um, it was an embarrassing sort of time for him. I think because he'd he'd been employed by Northampton. Um, the previous season to to sort of go in, keep them up, which he did. That was his remit. He kept them in, in League One. And then he was allowed to sign 13 new players that summer. And then he only got four games of the start of that, that following season before he got sacked. And look, football a, is a crazy game. I'm not going to say who made that decision, why they made that decision. I don't agree with it. I'm going to be biased and say I don't agree with a manager getting four games. I don't think that that's enough time to, to work with 13 new players on top of the, the players that he already had at the football club. So for him, I think, you know, he'd, he'd worked so hard to, to sort of earn that right as a football league manager. And I feel that he felt he was a bit embarrassed. Um, so when the, the Leighton Orient job came up and I remember it so clearly, me and him were standing in the kitchen, he was cooking a bit of dinner and we was just sitting there having a beer together and, and he said to me, I'm, I'm going to, this was the longest as well, by the way, that he'd sort of been out of um, work as a manager. I think he'd been out of work for maybe three or four months and he sort of said, look, um, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my name in the hat for the Leighton Orient job. And I said to him, you're absolutely crazy. I said, you've worked so hard to get yourself into the, into the football league. You're going to take a club that has, just been free falling for the last two, three years, and they're they're free falling even still now that they've got new owners. They've, they've had a takeover. It, it, I said it's it's just there, there's no upside, Dad. You've you've worked so hard. He was like, look, I back myself. I'll get it right. They've I've watched them. They've got the potential there, and I think they've been on something like a fifteen game. Winless streak, which is a significant amount of games, a a team that was probably shot of confidence, a lack of belief, and and he backed himself to go in there and 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 steady the ship and and take the the, the huge football club, as I say, that is Leighton Orient back to to where they rightfully belong. And it was never going to be an easy task, but he he, he went in and. By some some way, I think he ended up guiding them to thirteenth, twelfth position that season. So he really did go in with not a, not a great deal of change. You know, he had to inherit staff that was there, and he grew fantastic relationship with Ross Embleton, um, who's the now manager at Leighton Orient, and Danny Webb. Um, obviously, he'd he'd worked with Martin Ling in the past that they played together at Southend, and obviously Martin being the director of football. Um, there was a lot of positives there for Dad, and I think that was that was sort of demonstrated by the work that he'd done, and, and sort of managed to turn that around. I think he went in there December and and got to that mid table finish that season, but then obviously the following year was just a uh, incredible, incredible uh, achievement, you know, to to see what he was able to instill into a group you know some sort of 18 months later what he was he was able to to make a team that were a sinking ship into into champions and and to go, get them to a, a a league final at Wembley was was some feat
0: Charlie it's interesting you bring up the point there that you know when your dad took them over, they were seemingly staring, as you mentioned, at like a second consecutive relegation in the face. And they were without a win, like you rightly said, I think it's 14 league games. But your dad's arrival, it simply changed everything, leading Leighton away from the relegation zone to a mid-table finish in his first six months in charge, before then leading them to the National League title in May. Was that his proudest moment, do you think, in all of football?
3: It definitely is right up there. I know that for certain. I I actually asked him the question because obviously there wasn't a great period of time between obviously Dad winning the league with Orin and and his passing. It was only sort of a couple of months, but I did manage to get that question in there. In terms of managerial achievement, I think that was definitely his his biggest and his best. Only only slightly though, because the Newport one was was some some going as well, but I just think it was the I don't want to say the pressure I would say it, it was the expectation of Leighton Orient Football Club are uh, not a conference side they're a football league club and that's where their fans believe they should be and I think that's where the footballing world know that they they should be rightfully a football league club so I think it was the the expectation that was on his shoulders to to deliver and and to actually win the title. Because it would, it would, it, it come right down to the wire, it come down to the last game of the season. I think you know it was, it was a great. He fell in love with that football club. He really, really did, you know. Um, and I, I truly believe it, it's such a shame that he, he never sort of got to to give them a, a go in in the football league this season. Because I truly, obviously, the strange events that's happened with all this coronavirus, the, the season would have finished. But I do feel that they would have been right up there. Um, I really, really do, and that's no disrespect to the work that you know Ross um, and, and his staff have done. They've done an unbelievable job in the most horrendous of circumstances that you wouldn't wish upon anybody. You know, there's there's no right or wrong or manual on how to deal with the situation that the football club found themselves in. But just just gutted that dad didn't get that opportunity to to showcase again what he was capable of as as a football league manager. But Definitely, definitely, it was up there as a as a a great achievement in his career. Um, but I never actually asked him the question: his greatest footballing achievement, because obviously winning an FA Cup's got to be it's got to be right up there. It's got to be right up there. But oh, it's, it's a tough one. I, I couldn't give you an honest answer.
2: More impressively, around that that spell at Orient was that your dad actually achieved that feat with the squad he had inherited, barring you know those new additions. Was it impossible to predict what your dad could have genuinely gone on to achieve at Orient?
3: Do you know what I, I think? You speak to, I, and I, I've been, as I say, fortunate enough to to become quite close with a lot of um, players that Dad's worked with in the past. And I think one thing that stands out for me um, is the the, the the thing that always pops up is what a great man manager he was. Um, dad would would really study each individual, what worked for them, um, family. Dad Dad was a family man, you know, football aside, um, family come first. Family was his first love, football was his second. Um, and dad would really take a lot of time to get to know each individual, their family, their background, what made them tick. And I think that's just maybe what, what some managers lack um in, in certain and um, why perhaps they don't they don't necessarily go on to, to to achieve um the greatness as a manager that perhaps they had as a player. You know, I'm not gonna say Dad was, you know, the the, the most amazing of footballers, but I, I think with his managerial career in in the time frame that he had, he he done some amazing things. I see him manage more teams punching up the top of the table than sort of l- down the bottom. He just had this knack of of going in and, and getting his arm around players and making them believe in their ability and, you know, spoke to a lot of players with the, the work that we're doing with the foundation. You know, Macaulay Bond, who was um, Leighton Orient's top goal scorer in that title winning season last year. He's, he's now applying his trade in the Championship for Charlton and he says he owes so much to, to my dad because he'd, he'd fallen out of love with playing football. He didn't want to he didn't want to play football anymore, and it wasn't until my dad come in and got his arm around him, told him how how good he could be, um, and then, as you say, a year later he finds himself playing championship football, and it's um, they're they're the stories that fill fill me with so much pride and with so much joy because to know that dad was dad to me um, the same way that you know you've got your dads and. My my dad just happened to be a, a football player and a football manager, and that was the normal to me growing up, and and it still is now. I've never known anything different, but to to know that my dad could have such an impact on people, do the things that he was able to do, it, it just it, it really really is the most amazing feeling. Um, there's there's not really words to describe you know, the pride and, and how how grateful I am that dad was my dad, you know.
0: Jazz, just on the back of that, I have to ask you, your dad's achievements last season were rightly recognised at the inaugural Pride of Essex Sport Awards when he was named the Professional Sports Personality of the Year. Just how special was that to get that recognition? It's, it's the very least the man deserved for the wonderful work he did do at Orient. And that again, kind of, the the, the, the personality for me is so key here, that Personality of the Year Award, because his personality was so infectious.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. It was a it was a really proud, really proud uh, moment for us as a family. You know, it was sort of um, not just football related. Um, there's some some great people from from the county of Essex and teams that are involved, and I think he was up against Alistair Cook, who obviously was former England cricket captain and, and Essex County cricket captain, and to see Dad sort of trump somebody like that to to win that that title um, of sort of sports personality of the year is it's, it's, it's incredible you know I think we've all seen and I watch it back with a massive grin on my face you know the, the video footage of Dad in the change room with that group of players after winning the the league with Leighton Orient and you see him um, bouncing around in the fan park um, in Madrid before the Champions League final you know he was just so full of energy so full of life had so much to give um just personality was absolutely one of his strong points. He he was such a strong personality, um, but in the in the right way, you know. He, he made sure that he always conducted himself correctly. Um, I'm sure there's probably a few fourth officials out there that would disagree. Um, but there you go. He's um, he's earned that award. Uh, another fantastic honour. And um, he put that one nicely along, uh, winning sort of the, the conference manager of the year as well for for that season.
2: I'm not sure if this is something your your dad built up during his time at Orient or, or, or something that's happened um, later on. But I've noticed that Spurs and Orient have sort of struck up a, a sort of relationship again. That You know, many years ago, many Tottenham players used to head to Orient on loan as one of their first moves. And last summer we saw uh, George Marshall and then in January, Kaziah Sterling joined late Orient on loan. Is there still sort of a connection between Spurs and Orient and was your dad a part of that
3: at all? There's lots of different connections there. I think if you go back over the years, Spurs and Orient have often had that sort of connection. Players, Harry Kane's gone on loan there, Tom Carroll. Um, there's been players that have, have... It's a good location for for young up-and-coming players at, at Spurs to, to go and, and play a, a decent standard of football for a fantastic football club. Dad had built up a really i say really good connection he was fortunate enough to obviously guide Gillingham in the League Cup to face Spurs at White Hart Lane in the last season at the stadium and um, obviously came up against Pochettino and, and his staff and had, um, albeit didn't get the result. Um, it was one of those ones. It was quite bizarre really, because obviously I support Spurs, but obviously I support my dad as well. So it was one of them ones. I didn't really want to see dad lose five nil, but five nil is what he got (laughs) and I think He probably would have took that on the chin when you look at the likes of the players that were playing that night. But, you know, dad spent, um, some really lengthy time after the game with Pochettino and he said, what a, what an incredible act, you know, um, knew all of his knowledge about what dad had uh, done with the football club and sort of struck up that relationship to basically say, look, if you ever want to come in and watch training, not to not to patronise dad or to say that dad didn't know what he was doing, but just sort of made that 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 opening, that putting their hand out to say, look, come in, watch training, um, let's see what we can do. But I think going into the Football League this season, that would have definitely have been something that dad would have looked to have tapped Into but obviously, um, Ross Embleton worked within the the Spurs Academy himself, you know, during his coaching career, so I think perhaps maybe that connection there as well. But yeah, obviously, George Marsh, um, has played quite a, a number of games. Uh, we still go to Leighton Orient as a family to watch. He's he's really, really performed well, um, especially in, I, I, I think, better suited from what I've seen in a, in a right fullback position as opposed to a central midfielder. I think he's really, really done well when he's been asked to fill in at right back. He's, he's put in some really good performances. And then, as you mentioned, Keziah, um I've not seen, um, hasn't made an appearance yet. I think he maybe had a slight injury that he was looking to overcome. But, Obviously, with the, the current state of things, he might have uh, made a couple of appearances by now, had the, the sort of football season not been put on pause. But definitely definitely a relationship that Dad would have looked to have utilised, I'm sure. But um, it's, it's brilliant to see, you know, two clubs that meant so much to Dad um, sort of working together.
2: No brainer for both clubs, really. You know, as you said, it's a good location for Tottenham's younger pros to head out alone. And I really hope that's something that Tottenham continues to utilise. Uh, we've seen it to great benefit with, with players. You mentioned the likes of Hurricane Tom Coole, George Marsh this season been doing really well right back. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that's something that does continue. And I just want to go back. You actually sort of answered my question before I asked it there about that League Cup tie at White Hart Lane. And, you know, I just want to know what it was like when the draw came through in your household. You know, you found out you were going to White Hart Lane in that last year against Pochettino's Tottenham. That must have been incredible.
3: It was It was crazy. Yeah. Um... There was tears, there was laughter, there, were, there was every emotion you could imagine. Um, obviously, they'd beaten Watford in the previous round, which was uh, an amazing achievement. Um, but we all sat, I, th- I think we ate dinner particularly early that night. And I, I, might, I tell, it might get told off, but I slipped off from work early just to make sure that I was home <laughs> with the family to, to see the draw and... Um, it's really strange, you know, when you sort of get that that feeling, you you just have some sort of sixth sense, and you think to yourself, "This is, it's going to happen." And you see Tottenham come out followed by Gilmam. Honestly, the house just erupted. We the, the phones just started going mad. Family and friends saying, "Can we get tickets? What can we like? We want to." It was just, it was crazy. And I just know, it was a massive, massive thing ticked off of dad's list in what he wanted to achieve. He's always said that he wanted to go back in some capacity to Spurs one day and manage a football match, whether that was, and I know, I, I believe he could have done one day. I, I truly do. I, I do. I truly, truly believe he could have got to the top to manage Spurs one day um, with the way he was still a young manager, you know, only 49 years of age. Learned a lot of uh, useful stuff from a lot of good people. Um, I truly believe that you know that for him was such a such an important moment in his career, being able to take a, a team to play at White Hart Lane, and especially it being at White Hart Lane because look, as amazing as our new stadium is, that's not where they're not the familiar surroundings of Dad, where he play, he spent his time playing at Spurs. The fact that it it was just so fitting, the last season at the stadium, um, an opportunity to take a team there was was just incredible.
0: You've taken the words out of my mouth. That was exactly the question I was going to ask you. But just to just to rephrase what I was going to say then, only on the basis that we saw Gary Mavitt, who played alongside your dad in the 1991 FA Cup final, he agreed with you that he actually believed your, your dad was a possible future manager of Spurs. He said Justin had the potential, if he was able to carry on to manage at the highest level. I always thought that maybe someday, seeing the progress that he made, he could have even been a Spurs manager in the future. That is probably the highest praise I can give him as a coach and manager because of the work he done at the lower levels to learn the ropes and to move forward. He managed to get everybody behind him. And again, for you to say that, I mean, that would have been incredible, wouldn't it, for him to have actually managed Tottenham there in the flesh would have been would have been incredible.
3: That would have that would have been his dream. I think, Mm. you know, he never voiced that um he's voiced that to me that that was his dream but he would never have sort of come out publicly and said that because i think you know you you just never know in football um it's a funny old game but that would have been his main driver to get to to get to the top um and to to manage the club that means so much to him is so close to his heart and our whole family's heart you know it's um it's the stuff that dreams are made of and I know that he would have done everything in his power to, to try and get there. And look, if if I ever got to see my dad um, managing Tottenham Hotspur, then uh, well, I, I don't know. It's it's just uh, an emotion that you you probably wouldn't be able to explain um, as Spurs fans, all of us. You know, it's uh, can you imagine? Well, I, I open it up to you two guys. Could you imagine your your father being the manager of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club? How how proud you would feel for that?
0: Oh, I would be proud I'd also be worried about the reaction every week if we, we don't play the right football <laughs> and we don't do the right tactics so they don't go onto Twitter then I'd be worried but you're right Chad I think God John you would be really proud wouldn't you if your dad was to go and manage Tottenham it would be incredible
2: Phenomenal achievement and I'd just be trying to you know, keep, all, keep all the offerings of pocket money to put towards new sign-ins
3: <laughs> <laughs> you'd, have to have some, you'd have to have some serious pocket money that's true. Yeah. That's
2: true. Justin, I was I was out in Madrid in the in the summer and then
3: did, did you go out there yourself, Chaz, for the Champions I League final? I, I wasn't fortunate enough to, to get a ticket. I was uh, I was on and on at dad. I was like, Come on, you're a legend at this football club. Surely you can pull a few strings and um, he tried and tried and tried and he, he couldn't um I, I I wasn't going to pay ridiculous money as, as as much, but some of the ticket prices that I saw in the end were just absolutely outrageous. Um, yeah. So I, I, I didn't actually make the trip to Madrid, unfortunately. But what again, I mean, I don't want to answer any of your questions and jump the gun, but I, I wasn't out there. No. I
2: had the privilege of, of being out there and, and, and seeing your dad. And, you know, he, he was one of us. He was part of it. He was in that main square. He was leading the things in the build-up to the final. And that, that energy he was giving off was so positive it was just like you know people say to me you know what, what was your what's your favorite Spurs game and people think it's surprising that I say the Champions League final because to me it's not just a 90 minutes of football it's also such a disappointment losing in a game like that but to see your club there and to see everything that you know I've never been proud of my team in the build-up that day it's like a festival of Tottenham you know in that mid City Centre and, and your dad was a real part of that and, and leading it and he was um a real proud ambassador of the club. And, you know, I just just want to say a a huge thank you for that. He was a huge part of that. And, you know, what a special feeling it was for him to be out there with everybody and out with all his players he played with and legends. I mean, how does that work with Tottenham? Was he sort of an an official ambassador of the club or did he just go out there with with his friends?
3: He often, um, when he could obviously, um, he would often get involved with the hospitality side of things at the club, um, which I know he was very, very proud of and and really privileged to have been asked to to do, you know. Um you often see a lot of legends darting in and around the the sort of lounges and, and different um boxes that, that the club has. Um so he would often obviously depending on, on his own um clubs, whatever club he was managing at the time schedule, if he could fit in, whether that be a Sunday game or a Tuesday night Champions League or Wednesday night Champions League fixture. In a heartbeat, he would have been there. So he was actually invited um, by the club um, to, to to go out there as part of. Yeah, he, he spent. I remember getting a. I was very envious. I got a selfie of him and uh, him and Sedge with a beer in their hand, enjoying sunshine, both with their Spurs polos on. Um, yeah, just just enjoying the occasion, and I, I can't explain to you um, how. How proud he was to to see his club. And I know I keep using the, the word proud guys, but it's just it's the only word that I can use to to summarise how high and what high he went out on. Because having won the league with Orient um, just a matter of weeks before, then obviously taking Leighton Orient to, to Wembley, which turned out to it's just so strange how things pan out manager at Wembley was actually his last ever game as a manager. Like, that's just bizarre. I know they didn't get the victory. And then to go and see a club that means so much to you, that you've represented for so many years and had so many special memories and won so many amazing things with, It I, I just don't think it gets any better than that. Albeit, obviously, the only way it would have got better is if, if we'd won the, the Champions League. But just uh, the... I remember him picking me up so I, I watched it at a barbecue with friends and he'd come I, I didn't obviously I'd had too much to drink so I, I just stayed at my friend's house and he'd come and pick me up the next day so he'd literally got back from Madrid um, with little or no sleep got home maybe had like one or two hours and then he came and picked me up from my friend's house he was like don't get an uber I'll come and get you I want to talk to you all about the day like he literally had verbal diarrhoea the whole car journey home, just talking about what an experience it was. You know, he was sending me I've got every text message, every video, every photo that he's ever sent me still on my phone. And I often look back and just see the smile on his face. And I, I know he was so, so happy and so, so privileged and proud and honoured to have been asked to, to attend the final.
0: It's, it's crazy, Charlie, Like you say then in such in-depth, the, the events, even after the final, have been picking you up. And it's just one of those things that, Trying to understand and, and comprehend just how and what happened after that final. I mean, I don't want to push you and, and take you into the talk about the conversation if you if you don't want to. Because you know, for us, it's just about reliving Justin as a, as a man, as a person, the career he had, and being a manager. But I mean, he was taken to hospital tour on that Monday, and then two days after, attending the Champions League final between Tottenham and Liverpool. Just, is there any way of being able to describe that those series of events and just what happened? It just doesn't seem to still make any sense.
3: No, absolutely not. Uh, he, it was one of the. It was one of those things. Um, he he looked so well. Like he'd been training with me. I, I actually ran the the London Marathon in April. So the day after. Orient game promotion he was actually due to be running the marathon with me but a knee injury prevented him from doing so but he was like he wasn't one of these footballers you know you see after they come away from football that they just let themselves go they they, they don't even look like the footballer that you grew up and that happens right nobody that doesn't mean because dad stayed in shape that that was the right thing but he really did look after himself you know he would often uh, hear players and staff say now or that he used to get involved in training when he could like he just enjoyed keeping fit and staying well and um, I just think it's it's something that you never, never imagine is going to happen um, my dad would have been the last person that if you told me what happened was going to happen to dad I, I would have said you're absolutely crazy um, just so hard to, to comprehend um, I'll, n- I'll never understand it um, I'll never accept it I think it's just me and my family, me and my mum my sister now, we, 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 it's taught us a lot. Um, you know, it's life is short, unfortunately. Um, and I hear people moaning a lot now in this current circumstances of how bad things are. Well, trust me, things can be a lot, lot worse. And, um, you know, you've got to be positive as Dad was and he instilled that in us, you know. We we've we've been through a, a year of hell. Um, it's coming up to a year now since we, we obviously lost him. Um, I don't know whether that feels like one day, one week, one year, but it's just so, so surreal that that, that one year is sort of um, on the on the on the approach. But you can't comprehend it to answer your question you you don't you you ask yourself why what did he what did he do to deserve it um there was so much to look forward to um just heartbreaking doesn't even doesn't even um explain it you know it's changed me as a person for the better um it's made me a, a much more appreciative of what what i have and and I'm not talking about, you know, physical things. I'm talking about relationships and it just brings you all so much more closer. Um, but he's a topic of conversation every day um, to put a positive spin on it because I don't want it to be all doom and gloom. You know, as I've mentioned throughout this this pod, you know, he was such an upbeat and positive guy and he wouldn't want us as family and friends to be downbeat. He would want us to carry on our lives and make sure that we're, maximising that and, and doing what we can to, to have the best possible life that we can because you you sort of reel off those events there and, and how his time comes to an end. I wouldn't mind my time coming to an end going out on that sort of high. Um, so, yeah, it's it, absolutely heartbreaking missing every day, every minute of every day. He's always in my mind. But life has its has its ways and unfortunately... That's that was the card that we were dealt, and um, we've we've had to we've had to deal with that.
2: And Charlie, obviously, the challenge for you now is to continue your your father's legacy, and you since launched the Justin Edinburgh Free Foundation, which aims to install defibrillators in all sports clubs and gyms. Can you tell us a little bit more about the foundation and how listeners can get involved and and contribute?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you sort of a brief overview in terms of. Dad, obviously, when we got the the devastating news that there was nothing more that they could do for dad in in hospital, um, I I just had I, I don't know why um, I just had this this wave that I need to do something like this. I'm I'm not letting my dad just be forgotten about. And I said to my mum, my sister, I'm I'm going to do something. We're going to do something to to keep his name and his legacy going. And the the Justin Edinburgh Free Foundation we've set up. Um, so our main areas of focus is to, to and by the way, first and foremost, for anybody listening to this podcast that has contributed in any way to um, the, the foundation, hand hand on my heart from the bottom of my heart from mine and my family's hearts, thank you so much. Your generosity and and your support is, is truly overwhelming. Um, we've been able to raise some significant funds already without really doing a great deal. Um, But our main areas of focus is to um, help with training and raising awareness in both CPR and use of defibrillators. So we're looking at different ways that we can we can utilise that. Obviously, Dad was massively and heavily involved with football, um, looking at sort of rolling out a Justin Edinburgh Free Foundation soccer school so that we can get a new generation of lifesavers on board, you know, um, come in do the soccer school, but also teach them effective CPR and, and what to do should they see somebody go down. Obviously, for, for those that don't know, Dad Dad passed away from, from a cardiac arrest. He had a cardiac arrest. Um, and unfortunately, it's nobody's fault, but just in this country, we are a little bit naive. Um, heart attack and a cardiac arrest, I, I thought before this happened to Dad, were, they, were the exact same thing. They're not. Um, and it's about educating people in in that and what to do should they see somebody having a heart attack cardiac arrest to give that person who's suffering the the trauma the best possible chance of survival you know that's why we're doing this work we want to make sure that no family Um, has to endure the pain that we've had to you know you're not just saving one person's life it's the ripple effect that it has Um, so with that obviously the the more training and and defibs that we can get out there then obviously we can we can go a long way to to, to achieving our goal but the long-term goal and obviously at the moment Like everything else in the world, it's sort of been put on hold, really, because it's just going to get pushed to the bottom of the pile with the current pandemic that's going on. Our long term goal is to campaign for a law change. Um, We want to call that Justin's law. So dad was training in a gym uh, with my mum when he had his cardiac arrest. That gym didn't actually have a a defibrillator on site Um, and looking at it now. Um, I think it's just surely gotta be common sense. It's like having a seatbelt in your car. You might not ever need your seatbelt, it's just there to protect you in case of, you know, an accident or or anything like that. But a defibrillator should be in in any environment where there is people pushing themselves physically to, to the maximum. Um, so gyms, cricket pavilions, swimming pools football pitches you know that's what we're looking to do we're looking to campaign um, to make that a law legislative change um, so that you know every sports and health facility in the UK is equipped with a defibrillator and that that's our long-term objective and if we can do that then I think you know we've done dad uh, and his legacy that the world are good
0: and Charlie, just so we can really kind of push that out there where people and listeners can get involved and contribute, can you just give us the a, a web address or where people yeah. can look to contribute?
3: Yeah, so at the moment, there's still a lot of work going on. We have got a website. It's very basic at the moment, but you can you can make a donation on there. We've got uh, our Justin Edinburgh 3 Foundation pin badges, which you can purchase um, to help wear those. They're like almost like the sort of poppies that you wear around uh, Remembrance Day. Just... To be seen, wearing them, spread awareness. People ask you what it is. You can obviously listen to what I've just said there and, and tell people what it's about. And uh, so the, the website is www.je3foundation.com. Um, we're also on uh, all social platforms. So Twitter uh, and Instagram is at je3foundation. We're also on Facebook as well. Um, but yeah, just really sort of utilising um Sort of those social platforms to to help spread spread the name, spread the word. We are still in the process at the moment of um, of getting our charity number. It's a, it's a process that does take some time, um, and obviously as I mentioned, there with everything going on at the moment, it's it's probably going along a lot slower than we would have liked, but. Um, we can't we can't do nothing about that. And then obviously as well, if you don't have any of those platforms, we do have a Just Giving page as well, um, which is um, on the website. There's a link to that on the website and also in the bios on both our Twitter and Instagram pages um, that you can you can go on to our Just Giving page to make a donation there. Think at the moment, um, as I say, without doing a great deal, um, we obviously have only had sort of one event so far, the, the gala dinner to celebrate Dad's 50th birthday in, in December. That alone um, raised in the region of sort of um, well over a hundred thousand pounds that night alone, and then I think our just giving pages just recently gone over sort of the 55,000 mark. So some some really, really generous people out there. Honestly, we cannot thank you enough for, for supporting the calls. And hopefully everybody sees it as, you know, a, a good thing that we're looking to do. Um, it makes sense to me. I hope it makes sense to, to everybody else. I just would hate for somebody to have to experience what I've had to um, when we can do something to help try and prevent that.
0: Yep, and like I say, we're also going to make sure that in the podcast, the description of this podcast, what Charlie mentions there about where you can find the, find all the different stuff in terms of the foundation, that's also going to be mentioned in our description on the podcast. So check that out if you can't find for whatever reason any of Charlie's links. But like I say, Twitter, Instagram of the foundation, all in the description below, and the links that Charlie's mentioned. Just a final thing I want to ask you, Charlie. It's been a real, real somber show for us, and again, have to say that we've been really humble and honoured to have you on. That. There has been mentions that potentially we could see the Justin Edinburgh trophy or a pre-season friendly between Latin Orange and Tottenham. Uh, That's been suggested by some supporters with proceeds going to the foundation. Is that something that could still remain a possibility whenever football gets going eventually?
3: Absolutely. Um, I know that um, there, there had been discussions between the two clubs. What capacity that's in. Um, I'm not sure whether that would be sort of a first team or, you know, Tottenham sending down an 11 to play Leighton or, an, or even if it was to be sort of like an academy um, type approach there, there's different things that are in the pipeline um, I'd love to see it because it would be a, a, a great thing for, for us as a family to see you know two clubs that meant so much to dad sort of come together each pre-season to, to, to play a, a memorial sort of trophy for for dad that would, that would mean the absolute world but definitely it's something that we're looking at and there's lots of different planning and, and things going on in the background so I, I encourage all, all Tottenham fans anybody listening to this podcast you know keep keep an eye out there'll be plenty going on for people to get involved with and yeah just please please continue to to spread the word because um you you could be a lifesaver and um if that's down to to the work that we're doing with the Justin Edinburgh Free Foundation then as I say if we can save one person's life um we've done dad's dad's legacy the world of good
0: just want to again say, Charlie, from us, honestly, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. It has been a real humble pleasure to have you on, to discuss your dad, to really discuss the man really behind the shirt. And I think that's what we're very keen to do, to make this a celebration of his life, to talk about the legacy that he leaves behind, to talk about the foundation. And I'm sure John as well for you. Um, this has been a real, real, i say, I say a real sombre show, hasn't it? Yeah,
2: definitely. It's been really sort of heartwarming to, to hear, um, you know, Justin's story and, and what Charlie and his family had, had to go through. But also that he's trying to now move forward with it so positively with the foundation and the excellent work they're doing. Myself and, and I'm sure you will, Ricky, too, will be putting out the details of the foundation where fans can make those, those donations. But I'm sure lots of Tottenham fans would love to get involved. And, and just thank you, Charlie, for coming on and, and sharing the memories of, of your dad's life, who was a wonderful man and a, a real Tottenham legend.
3: No, and I, I really appreciate you both having me on. And um, as I say, anything that um, we can do in the future, don't don't hesitate to reach out. But it's been, it's been a real pleasure. And uh, as I say, I, w- I wish the man was here himself to uh, to to tell you his stories. But um, hopefully, I've done him justice. And um, yeah, as I say, he's a legend in my eyes. And and that f- the, the, the thing that you said at the top, um, Ricky. You know, a legend in your eyes too, that, that fills me with so much comfort and uh, can't thank you you guys enough for having me on.
0: Oh, it's been a real pleasure. We're going to leave you with now a tribute to the man, the legend, Justin Edinburgh and the celebration of his life.
4: I, I, I try not to live every tackle, every header, every... Run on the pitch, but I just can't detach myself from that.
3: I think he's one of the best, really, in
4: terms of someone who uh, who was quite straight. I think in the best ones, he's got that. For me, he's got that right balance of of forward thinking, but that old school edge. I think that the best managers have got. You yeah, know, well, I, I still feel I feel shattered more as a manager after a game, than I did when I was a player. You know, my, my Saturdays and Tuesday nights are a write-off because I'm actually worn out.
2: He knows how to handle players off the pitch. I think it's very rare in this day and age. I'm not just saying that because he's my gaffer now, but I could probably name two or three of the gaffers that I've worked with that have got both sides of it spot on where he'll have a laugh, he'll have a joke, he'll be around the boys at lunch and, you know, banners flying and, you know, but then when it's time to go and it's work time, it's like bang, like he walks in and
4: it's right, game time. Well, I think the, the feeling is one of the best feelings that you could imagine as a professional footballer.
3: Incredible respect for anybody that that reaches the level of football that the manager
4: played at. To firstly get to to the top level and and play there for you know over 10 years was was a, a fantastic journey and something that memories will never never leave me and I cherish forever really.
3: When he came out of the end of his playing career, it went back to to, to scratch if you like, and he had to. Start again. And I hear people now who've just stopped playing and they, they keep talking about well I shouldn't have to go non-league to get a manager's job where there
4: was none of that from Justin, it was I think started at Billaricki. I don't think anyone could have prepared me for it. I was a manager, they wasn't interested in what I'd done in my playing career. That that been and gone. So I had to quickly remember get to grips with that. You know, when I went to Billaricki we was I was pumping the balls up, washing the bibs, organising the coach travel, paying the players' wages, you know you you, you're at that level. You've got to get involved. Go, go, I think that's a
3: you know very admirable of him to, to sort of do that route. We didn't expect anything out of him just because he had a great career.
4: It was uh, first and foremost about you know uh, a ship that was real. Going off course. He's taken hold of the coaching side, behind the scenes at the training round, um, doing the dress room up for this season. And we've learned how to win football matches again and I think we've learned the level. I think the club have regained their credibility, have regained their name, their passion, and I think they've regained their club. <laughs> Like I said, played at an incredible club for <clears throat> over 10 seasons, um, which I take great pride in. I won two domestic cups. Lucky enough to go and win Summit as a manager by winning the playoffs of this league with Newport, <clears throat> which would have been my biggest achievement of my uh, professional career. So I think if I could achieve that here, then I think that would top it all. Ready to be champions. Ladies and Orients are promoted. The O's are heading back where history says they belong.